Thank you, choir, so much. That was moving. Well, this morning we continue with our fearless uh, sermon series, and we're looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 today. And uh, if, if you've been kind of following along, you might have noticed um, a couple of months ago when we began this series, we started in the book of Genesis, and we recorded the first negative emotion ever seen in Scripture, and that was fear. When Adam and Eve hid in fear, trying the impossible and hiding from the Lord because of their shame and their sin. But uh, then we've looked at a few different Old Testament characters and and how they responded related to fear. Last week we looked at uh, battling fear through the book of Psalms and pointed out several key passages. Now we're ready to look at the New Testament and of course where better place to start than with the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we look at this passage today, we're, we're talking about the storms and how what we must remember about Christ during the storms. Because you may have noticed that our fears don't usually get the best of us when we are on easy street. And some of you are going, well, I have never been on that street before. I've always been on the difficult path of life. Well, Regardless of where you tend to roam, it is true that during the times of life where there seems to be less pressure, there, there is a, it coincides with a less temptation toward fear and anxiety. But it's when our, our fears get, they get accentuated when life becomes more difficult. And so when we are in the storms of life, or we're just finished with the storms of life, or whether we're headed to the storms of life, there's certain key truths we have to remember about Christ himself. And this classic story today is going to bring out some things that you can put in your back pocket and put into your life this very week. Well, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has just finished a a series of teaching. Uh, By the way, it's interesting, uh, right before this story, I want to point out one quick thing. This is free for coming today, but... Some of you, you may have some uh, professing Christian friends that have asked you, now what church do you go to? And you may say, oh, I go to the First Baptist Church. And, and, you, and you may have been asked this question before, why don't you all emphasize more about the Virgin Mary? Why don't you bring up Mary more? We always bring her up at our church. And it's interesting, right before this passage we're looking at today, um, it says in verse 19, when Jesus' mothers and brothers came to see him, and when they were not able to get near him because of the crowd, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. It's interesting, uh, on another occasion, someone in the crowd spoke out and said, blessed is the woman who bore you and nursed you. And he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And so if someone asks you, why don't you emphasize more the Virgin Mary? Uh, one of the reasons simply is, because Jesus had the opportunity to do so, to accentuate her on two different occasions, and he chose not to do so. Uh, he essentially said, you know, the real focus is not on my brothers, it's not on my mother, but it's on what God is doing here, and the real blessing goes to those who obey the Word of God. Now, of course, we're not anti-Mary. We certainly respect and appreciate her role, uh, especially in the Incarnation, but I-, I found this an interesting emphasis of Jesus himself He had the opportunity to venerate her uh, immensely and did not do so. Anyway, like I said, that's free just for coming today. It's it's in the context of the passage we're looking at, which is verse 22. I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. 
So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. Now, the first thing I want you to know this morning that we must remember about Jesus in the midst of the storm is simply this, that number one, he has a plan for our life. <laughs> I mean, that's super basic stuff, but you think about it. We really forget the idea of God planning, designing, ruling over our life when we're in the midst of a storm. Jesus was really aware of what the Sea of Galilee could do and likely knew what would happen, yet he still planned for his disciples to go when a great storm was going to happen. And so when we have great storms in our life, we must not think that this took God unaware or that God had nothing to do with this. We must realize that God is still in control and has a plan for our life that involves and includes storms. Now, this is not how we'd like this story to read. We forget that sometimes when you get in the boat with Christ, it means getting soaked with Christ. We would like for the story to, to read in verse 23 a little bit like this. As they sailed, he fell asleep, and suddenly a huge rainbow popped out of the sky, and a large flock of doves made a happy formation as they sailed across a sea of glass. Angels began singing, and the sun came out, and everyone enjoyed a beautiful day. <laughs> now, has anyone ever sold you that kind of bill of goods? Is that how the Christian life is to be a nonstop, of, a nonstop activity of Caribbean cruise type of, of living? That's simply not what God plans for us. So we, we, we must remember, in the midst of our storm, that the living God has not ceased to plan things out for us. It involves storms. It's wise and good and sovereign, even though it may not be comfortable for us or make perfect sense to us. Maybe the most troubling part of this story to some, and especially to the disciples, is the first part of verse 23. It says, as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, you're going to see a great demonstration of Christ's deity, but right here is a really kind of a heartwarming demonstration of Christ's humanity. Christ was tired. In his human flesh, he was worn out, and it was time to sleep. Now, sleep can communicate different things to people that are negative. I remember I had this tendency to always sleep on my good ear when Susie was nursing the boys or helping the boys in the middle of the night. <laughs> and my sleeping did not communicate to her that I was always in the game with her when it was go time. I had a um, premarital counseling uh, appointment one time, and I was talking to the, uh, the couple, and I asked them about their parents and, and things they may have learned from their parents that they might choose to do and choose not to emulate in their marriage. And uh, I asked uh, the daughter, uh, the lady, about her relationship with her dad, and she said, you know, my dad slept through my childhood. And I asked what she meant by that, and she meant literally. He, he struggled with depression, wasn't there. Uh, for me emotionally, every time I needed him, I pretty much always felt like he was asleep. Now, so sometimes our sleep communicates something we don't intend. And Jesus did not intend to communicate, hey, I don't care. Hey, I'm not here. Uh, you guys are on your own. But that's how they took it. So maybe a principle we need to remember about Jesus in the midst of our storm is number two, is that Jesus reigns regardless of appearance. Have you ever gotten the wrong view of a, a certain situation. Maybe there, you've been in a situation where someone was in control or did know what they're doing, but it didn't seem like they knew about it to you. 
I remember as a kid, I won't forget it, we were driving from uh, Fort Worth to my grandparents in, in Columbus, Mississippi, and we, would, we were in our, how many of you had like a 76 LTD out there? Anybody? Three miles to the gallon, yeah. Those big old family trucks, we would ride in the back of those things. And I remember it would be dark, and I'd ask Dad if he'd turn on the light, because I wanted to get something or look at something. And he'd say, Cliff, um, I'll turn it on, but whatever you're doing, do it quickly, because I, I can't see as well with it on. And I was like eight years old. I'm like, no, Dad, I meant turn on the light, which light makes you able to see better. So and he's like, no, I actually see better when it's off. I'm going, <coughs> Okay. My dad was a PhD and a prof professor, but I knew I had something on him. <laughs> you he thinks he can see better when the lights on. Now it hit me when I was 16 years old and I'm driving the car at night and someone says, hey, can I turn on your light real quick? Yeah, sure. And I'm like, I can't see that good. It didn't make sense to me, but now I realize that dad really wasn't in control of the situation, but to me, it, I, I felt like I found the one thing that dad didn't really have a clue about. Now, Jesus, at this point, is completely in control. He is asleep, but they don't think he is there for them. Have you ever felt that way in your life, that Jesus has been asleep on your watch? Here's the thing. Most of us don't fall asleep until we feel like everything is going to be okay. You wouldn't fall asleep if you knew that your spouse would... would possibly pass away in the middle of the night you wouldn't fall asleep if you knew that there was armed robbers or terrorists outside of your door ready to attack you at any moment you would stay up because danger would would something terrible could happen if you fall asleep so you do whatever you can do to fall asleep jesus knew tough times were coming but that everything would be okay because he was in control and so realizing all of his sovereignty all of his power and ability he could lie down and sleep in peace he was completely in control regardless of how the situation seemed. Our problem is that we begin to ask questions of God that are inappropriate in the midst of our storm. Now, it's interesting, the difference between Luke and Mark. Um, in verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. They're informing him of something that wasn't the case at all. But I noticed in Mark 4, it's the same story. There's a little bit different angle on the question. It says in verse 38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's interesting. They didn't ask him about his strength. Lord, are you able to help us in the midst of this storm? They didn't ask him about his knowledge. Are you aware that there's a storm? They didn't ask him about his know-how. Do you have any experience with storms? <laughs> They wanted to ask about his character. Do you even care? Why would they think that all of a sudden this person that has been with him for all this time has shown such great interest into his life? They've seen him love and care and feed everybody and take care of the poor and the sick and the dying. And all of a sudden, a little bitty storm comes, though it was a great storm and their lives were in danger. But comparatively, something happened in life and all of a sudden, the first thing that comes to their mind is, you know what? Jesus doesn't care. Do you know what fear does to us, brothers and sisters? Fear gives us a disease called spiritual amnesia. They forgot everything about Jesus. They forgot everything about truth. They forgot everything about God. All of a sudden, God's not here with us. He doesn't care about us, and he's left us to fend for ourselves. We're all alone. Do you have a case this morning of spiritual amnesia? Have you forgotten about the resume of Jesus in the Bible and in your life? Have you forgotten who he really is? Sometimes... 
we don't recognize the reign of Jesus, his sovereign wise rule, because we just feel like he's asleep. Well, the story continues, and it's beautiful indeed how the slumbering Jesus wakes up, and in the middle of verse 24, it says, he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. (laughs) All was calm in verse 24. Something that the disciples felt was literally going to take their lives. It was quaking and surging, and Jesus gets up, wipes the sleep out of his eye, looks at the Disciples with their hearts beating out to their chest, looks at the situation, speaks a word, be still, and everything is over right at that moment. Now, a principle from this part of the story that I don't want us to miss is simply this, also something very simple, but something that spiritual amnesia gets to quickly, and that's this, we must remember that Jesus, number three, can handle anything. Now, on paper, we believe this, if you were taking a multiple-choice Christian test in Sunday school. Do you believe Jesus can handle anything, yes or no? You would all probably answer yes. You might, some of you might peek on your neighbor to see what they checked, but you'd pretty much say, yeah, Jesus can handle anything. It's, it's one thing for that to be a multiple-choice test. It's another thing that in the midst of your storm, in your world, in your house, for you to actually believe that's the case. Sometimes we get a little bit snippy about the way Jesus operates. And we're thinking, you know what? I have a storm in my life because of financial problems or because of health issues or because of relational tension or because of sin that I'm battling with. And I'm ready for Jesus to wake up and just do that snap his finger thing and for the water to be all calm in my life. But when is that going to happen? And sometimes... We're so bothered about the method of Jesus and the timing of Jesus and the working of Jesus that we even forget, we even begin to doubt his ability to get the job done. The truth is, when or if Jesus chooses to calm the storms in our life, it's completely up to him. He, he allows them to happen. He doesn't inform us of when they're going to stop. It's completely his call. And, and mo- most of us, as we mature in the journey of life, have resolved and resigned that God knows what he's doing with that. One of the things we must show ourselves up with faith is to believe that Jesus can handle anything. Sometimes we feel like we're the ones who finally experience the one problem that Jesus can't handle. You know, the scripture tells us in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, it says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Then it asks this question, is anything too hard for me? We've got to, in the midst of the real pain that we're experiencing, the real fear that is causing us to be spiritually crippled, we must realize that Jesus can handle it, we trust it to him, and we wait for his timing and for his wisdom to give us the discernment on what he wants us to do while we wait. Now, Jesus, in verse 25, has an initial question for his timid disciples. In verse 25, he says this, Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. I mean, their faith felt like it was being stretched to the limit. Now, there are certain things in life that uh, should not be stretched too far. Maybe you've uh, had some of those. We, we had those little exercise elastic band things we do these things with. And my son uh, was maybe pushing a little too hard, and he brought them to me. He says, these snap, Dad. <laughs> these things that aren't supposed to break, they, they snap. 
I remember my, about, this is probably nine years, nine, ten years ago, my wife and I were at, at a friend's house, and they had uh, all this cool stuff to do on a lake, and they said, you've got to get on this jet ski together. And so I was getting in the water, and I kind of slipped down into a little hole that was in there, and so I'm coming out of it, and I'm trying to help Susie get on the jet ski, and she got on the jet ski, and the uh, jet ski started moving forward a little bit, and she's holding on to the dock. She held on too far <laughs> and it stretched her arm and she hurt her arm and uh, it pulled out of socket a little bit and, and I, I realized that arms aren't made to be stretched that far <laughs> nine years later she still feels it just a little bit at, at times but there's a lot of things that they're stretch and stretch and stretch but they've stretched too far well I want you to know if we don't allow God to stretch our faith it will soon become extremely small and ineffective. Faith is something that God wants to stretch, and so we, we've got to remember that, that in the midst of our storm, that Jesus, number four, stretches our faith. And, and by the stretching of it, I mean the strengthening of it. You see, these weren't novices out in the midst of a great storm. These are fishermen. They weren't first-timers here. And so I imagine when the storm came and the, the rains were coming down and they're starting to get soaked and they looked ahead and they could see what was on the horizon, they probably put their heads together a little bit. We should try this and it didn't work. Maybe we should do this and that didn't work. And they tried this and this and this and all of a sudden, only thing left to do was be filled with fear, anxiety, and worry and then look at Jesus and say, you don't even care. You know where their faith was? It was in themselves. And the faith in themselves had quickly eroded to nothing. Most of us in the room have tried that whole faith in yourself thing, and we found out pretty quick that it doesn't get us anywhere spiritually. And Jesus had that one simple question, where is your faith? Until we come to the place in our spiritual life where our faith is squarely and fully in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross for salvation, we're always going to try to save ourselves. We're always going to try to do our own thing spiritually. But God says that it is by grace that you are saved through faith and in a moment at the end of our service when we have the lord's supper together we celebrate the lord's supper because god has enabled us to place our faith in what jesus has done on the cross not our good works not our performance spiritually but on what he has accomplished and he wants us to learn that faith is not just something initial for the christian life that faith is something we walk through all of our life with with the lord jesus so our faith must be stretched well, at the end of verse 25, it says, in fear and amazement. Both of those things can go together, by the way. They'd move from a, a crippling fear and a cringing fear to an awe and wonder and amazement of who God, in fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? I wonder if Jesus went to the other side of the boat, and they kind of have a little meeting and say, who is this guy? I knew he was a good teacher. I like his silver tongue orator thing. I like how he, you know, stands up to the Pharisees. But, man, did you know he was a storm calmer? Did you know he could, sp I didn't know that about him. No, I didn't know that about him. You know, our, our faith is very one-dimensional sometimes, isn't it? I was, uh, a lot of you were shocked as I was to hear about the tragic passing of, of actor Robin Williams. And, and, and in the bylines and in the, the post-death uh, things that they would print and things they would talk about. One of the things about him was that he surprised people when he did a serious role. He was so known for his crazy, silly antics that when he did something serious, people were like, wow, he's not just this way, he's also this way. You've known people like that. You, you kind of picture them that they're just like this. All of a sudden, they are funny. 
or they're more serious, you're going, whoa, I didn't know about you. You know, the disciples were reaching a very, very critical transition point in their life where they had to realize exactly who Jesus was, that he wasn't just a great teacher, that, he, that Jesus is fine in this sense, but there's so much more to the Lord Jesus that they had not tapped into. They, they, they did not understand. And, and so for us this morning, one of the last things we need to note in, in the midst of our storm, number five in our outline, is that Jesus demands our respect. He is not just the warm, gushy, sweet grandpa in the sky. He is the sovereign God that is the calmer of storms, that controls all things, that governs nature, and we should stand in awe of him. Yes, we need this dimension of his love and his mercy, but we must stand in awe of this great dimension of his incredible power and holiness and grandeur. Have you made that critical shift in your thinking about who Jesus is today? And I have a question for you as we enter into a time of response. I'm going to ask you the same question that Jesus asked his disciples, and that's this simple question this morning. Where is your faith? Have you initially placed your faith in Jesus to receive God's gift of eternal life? And are you walking, are you walking by faith or by sight today? As we consider this passage, I'd like us to take a moment and bow together. And as we're bowed before him, as we enter into a time of response, we do want to give everyone a chance to come forward and make that decision for Christ today. At the same time, we are going to enter into the taking of the Lord's Supper in just a moment as well. And so during our time of invitation, I'd like us to all remain seated and prayerfully ask God to search our hearts and point out areas in our life He wants us to confess and repent of. But if you're here, maybe God's just knocking, pounding on the door of your heart saying, place your faith in me. That's where your faith needs to be. In just a moment, Stephen's going to begin singing. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, we'd love for you to simply come forward and say, I'm ready to receive Christ in my life. If you've been sensing God's leadership to become part of this church family, we'd love to talk and pray with you about what that means. Oh, Lord, draw people now to you, to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With our heads bowed.